Get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2. And I want to talk tonight about some prayer. And we're going to have some prayer in a minute. I'm not going to preach very long. I want us to have a little mini prayer meeting tonight together as a church. How many know that's a good thing? Can't pray too much. And uh, I want to give you a few verses, though, and a few thoughts tonight on prayer. And I want to talk about Pentecostal prayer. I mean, oh, there's a difference. There's prayer and there's Pentecostal prayer. That means that the spirit is heavily involved. And look what Acts chapter 2 says. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. That's so important, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire and sat one sat on each of them and as they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen? We, the, how many know that if we're true believers tonight, we're always looking and longing for a move of God? Amen. If you're, if you're a true believer, if you, ask, you want to ask yourself that question, am I a true believer? That might be one way to know is that you are always longing in your spirit for something to happen. Right? A religious dry person, they might not admit it or might not even know it, but they would be a person that would not really care if God moved or not. They would maybe come to church religiously. They would maybe come to church to feel good, but they wouldn't really care deep down inside or long to see a move of God. I can tell you that for myself, I'm always longing, I'm always desiring to see a move of God. To see God's presence show up. And one of the things uh, that I kind of mentioned this morning, we were talking about yesterday, again, at Men's Discipleship, and I want to bring that into tonight, is that we have to understand that a move of God only happens from prayer. That's the, that's the only way. And the other way is God's sovereignty. We talked a little bit yesterday about, uh, and I'll mention just a couple, three things today tonight in the message that we talked about in men's discipleship yesterday. And one of them was about the revival. I gave the example of the Pentecostal uh, Pensacola revival in Florida that happened in the early 90s that you might have heard of. I know that, uh, I'm not wrong on that, right? You did go. Okay, I was just making sure that I didn't say that erroneously yesterday. I know Robert went. Many other people went. There was a mighty move. How many heard of that revival in the early 90s? Maybe if you weren't saved yet, obviously you didn't. But if, if you've been raised in church there was an amazing move of God in Florida, in Pensacola in the early 90s. And matter of fact, the, the evangelist who God used just passed away about three or four months ago, uh, Steve Hill. He had cancer and he went on to be with the Lord. But God used him mightily in that thing for about five years. And I, know, I can tell you that ever since I heard that, I've always wished and prayed and said, God, let me see a move of God like that. And I'm not going to stop believing until Jesus comes back that we can see a move of God. Amen. It was so powerful. I was telling the guys yesterday that, they, 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 that when police officers arrested people, they gave them the option. Obviously, if it was murder or something, they wouldn't. But if it was something that was pretty minor or, or that they had the choice, they would give them the choice to go to jail or to go to church. That's how powerful the revival. That's a fact. Police officers would arrest them and say, you can go to jail or you can go to church. And they would take them to that church and they'd get saved. I mean, it was such a move of God that it was, it was affecting the city. I mean, you know, that's what a revival does. It doesn't just affect an area, it affects the city. And, and uh, in that thing, though, is what, what would happen is people, 
I remember I'd just gotten saved when this was happening, and we were in Tucson, and some of the Assemblies of God churches were, were sending people over, and people were going, and there's nothing wrong with that. You want to see what it is, what's going on. But I remember seeing something happen that was not on purpose. We don't make mistakes on purpose, but I knew that it wasn't right, and what they were doing was they were trying to come back from that revival, and they were trying to copy what songs they were singing, and they were trying to preach the messages they were preaching. And they were trying to, to emulate and copy, and almost like a today in a computer, copy and paste the move of God. And you cannot copy and paste the move of God. And the reason is, is because God is sovereign. God moves when He wants to move. How He wants to move. Why He wants to move. Through whom He wants to move. The only thing we can do to allow that sovereignty to blow through like a wind is to be prepared is to be in prayer, is to do our part. And that, that's what God calls us to do, is to pray. And so tonight, I hope that we're all true believers and that we're longing for a move of God. Not a charismatic, personality, media move of God, but a move of God. Where God gets all the credit and God gets all the glory. A visitation of the Holy Spirit. How many want that? A visitation of the Holy Spirit. I'll take it tonight, but I want to have it all the time. I want to see God move in a supernatural way. And again, you can begin to, in your mind to think, well, if we did this or we did that, and all those things are good, we can try our best to put ourselves in position. But the bottom line is God will move when he wants to move, and we just got to do everything we can to make him welcome. Okay? So three things prayer does to us tonight, if you want to take notes quickly, and I'm only going to take a few minutes and then we're going to pray, is when you have a prayer life, when you are seeking God in prayer, and some of the men, this will be repetitive that went yesterday, but that's a good thing. When you are praying fervently and spending time with God, three things will happen. Number one, you will have a greater passion for Jesus. When you're praying, when you're on, the, in, on your knees and you're spending time with God, your passion for relationship with God will become greater. And that's why it's so important that we understand that God is not... Uh, what's the word, um, pleased or even uh, um, amazed by our eloquent words or the things that we say, but he is pleased by the heart that we pray with. And if we're praying to God in a heart way and in, in a loving way and we're wanting to build a relationship with us, the first thing that's always going to happen is we're going to have a, long, a greater desire to spend time with him. If you really love somebody, you want to spend time with them. And it's not just a passing high and a bye, and it's not a quick popcorn prayer, as we say, or it's not certain words that you'd say all the time. It's like we've joked about many, many times in marriage, for example, that if I always, always, always said the same thing to my wife all the time, then it would just be words again. But that every once in a while, as spouses, we would mix it up a little bit and say something we haven't said for a while or said before. And so we're not trying to reach God through just a bunch of words, but we're reaching him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we pray, there's a passion for Jesus that comes greater where we get to where we don't always want to spend time doing other things. We turn the radio off. We turn the TV off. We get along with God. We spend time with him because we're passionate about him. Amen. The second thing that happens as you begin to pray and have a prayer life is out of that relationship with Jesus, you'll begin to have Jesus' heart. You can't spend time with God and not become like Jesus. And so as you spend time with Jesus, the second thing that's going to happen is you're going to get a passion for the lost. 
You're going to get a passion for souls. You're going to have a desire to reach the lost. You're going to have a desire to tell people about Jesus. Number three, this is one of the most important, is as you are praying and have a prayer life, the Holy Ghost will give you an anger against wickedness. A hatred for sin. Yes, I said hate. It's in the Bible. Amen? A hatred for sin. We are allowed and should hate sin. Hate wickedness. Have an anger against the things that are not pleasing to God. So as you're praying, those three things will begin to happen. Passion for Christ, passion for souls, and a Holy Ghost anger against wickedness. I want to give you a quick quote from Corey Tinboom. This is a powerful quote. It says, don't pray when you feel like it. Okay? Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Okay? This is something that I've learned and I'm trying to teach you and I'm not saying I don't battle it. We all do. But that we would make an appointment with God. That we would have a set time to pray. That we would make sure that we say, here's my time and here's my place. That is going to get affected sometimes. But how many know that everything we do in job and school and work and friends and family and events has times? We say, hey, let's get together. Let's meet at 7. Hey, come over to our house. Hey, we're going to have church at 6. Everything has a time. Why wouldn't we set a time to spend with, with God in prayer? And if you do that, if you make it an appointment every day and you say, I'm not going to miss it, then you're going to find that you're more effective, not only in praying, but in being consistent in your prayers. Okay, and again, this goes back to the beginning that we would want to have a Pentecostal prayer, a spirit filled prayer. Amen. A prayer that moves the hands of God. So here's what he says, Corey Timboom. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A person is powerful on their knees. Amen? Now, this is a verse you hear me quote all the time, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, but it's the greatest prayer verse, in my opinion, in the Bible. It says, if my people who are called by my name. Now, I said that this morning. What a blessing to know that God, the God of this universe, calls us. Don't, don't get too ahead of that and realize what a blessing that is, that the God of this universe calls us and we're part of his team i mean if you've ever been not picked for a team in sports okay don't feel good i'm sure i i'm I'm, there's been a few times i'm sure but i'm not saying that bragging i'm just saying that's if it was other things yeah 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 i haven't been picked last let's just say that if you've ever not been picked for a team it would feel bad we're picked on the greatest team in the world the greatest team in the world. God called us and he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. How many know that prayer comes through humility of defeating the flesh? Flesh wants to be bold. Flesh wants to be prideful. Flesh wants to spend time on its own. Flesh wants to be selfish. And humility gets us to a place where we can be in prayer. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. That's a promise. I will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Now I mentioned this yesterday in this part of the verse. This is important. Remember that we cannot go to the Lord in prayer... We can have all the Pentecostal prayer we want, but if we're going to the Lord in prayer and not turning from our wicked ways, God cannot answer our prayers. Okay? 
I'm not talking about the mess up here and the mess up. I'm talking about that habitual sin where we're continuing to live in sin. We've got to turn from that. And we've got to say, God, help me not do those things so that he can heal our land. I'm telling you what God said. He said, I will hear them if they humble themselves. If they seek my face. If they turn from their wicked ways. Okay? So you're going to have, sometimes we've got to realize maybe God's not hearing me because I'm not turning away from the things he's, like we said this morning, turning away from those false prophets, those false idols, those things in our lives that shouldn't be there. And he says, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. So it goes beyond the church. It goes beyond your family to the city, to the city we're in, to the nation we're in, to the world we're in. And then he says, now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Psalms 107. Here's another verse. 28 and 30. Cry out to the Lord in their trouble. They, sorry, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. How many have seen God bring you out of distress as you cried out to him? He calms the storm. Anybody ever had a storm calmed? And, he, and so that its waves are still. Then they that are glad, then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Here's another awesome statement tonight. If you're taking notes, prayer, this is powerful, by John Bunyan. Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Amen? Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Something that makes the devil mad. You want to make the devil mad? Pray. He hates people who pray. He hates us anyways. But I'd like him to hate me more. Amen? He already hates you anyways. Let him hate you good. The reason you, way you make God hate you is praying. He does not like a praying people. Amen? Not, he don't care about a religious people, but he doesn't like a praying people. Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Now here's what I want to close with tonight. And I've said this many times. I want to remind you again. One person can make a difference in the kingdom of God. One person. If you look back, if we could see a screen tonight of a movie of the revivals that have happened. Always comes from prayer. And it does always come from people. He says, if my people. But you've got to realize that a fire starts with a spark. When you see a great fire, that great fire that consumes a building becomes corporate fire, becomes a corporate de- damage that does damage to that building. But that fire did not start large. It started with a spark. And whatever that spark was started that fire. And that is where revival starts, where one man or one woman gets on their knees And says, I'm not going to do this for credit. I'm not going to do this for a pat on the back. I'm not going to do this so people will see me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to have Pentecostal prayer. I'm going to get alone with the Lord. I I don't know if I said this yesterday or recently to somebody else that this is a fact. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a whole lot of people that you do not and I do not recognize that have never been on TV. They've never been pastors or leaders. They've never been in front of people. But they are going to have a crown in heaven because they knew how to get a hold of God and they knew how to pray and they did it because they loved the Lord. Amen. And God moved because because of their humility and because of their prayers. So one person can make a huge difference. 
One person that I've got a few books about is Daniel Nash. He's just like I said this again. There's a couple things repetitive from yesterday with the men, but this is like Smith Wigglesworth. And of course, there's just some names I'm throwing out. There's many. Corey Tinboom, as I mentioned in the beginning, people who have just were just mightily, mightily, mightily used as she was in that camp. And she was distraught and she prayed and she learned how to seek God's face. There's many, many people who've learned how to get a hold of God for their own selves and they've sparked a revival and people have written books about them. Not them writing books about themselves, but people. Smith Wigglesworth never wrote a book. All the books you read, all the devotionals you have and all the books you read about him were not written by him. They were written about him. People said, man, this was a mighty man of God. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of faith. And they take his sermons and they take different prayers that he did and they made them into books, thank God, so that we can read them. But th there's people who are trying to see a move of God, again, not for public consumption, not for credit, but because they truly inside here want to see a move of God, want to see souls saved. This kind of goes back as I close with this last point to what we were talking about this morning. The motives of why we do what we do. The motives of, of asking, and this is something we have to ask ourselves continually as human beings and as believers. Do I do what I do for public consumption? Or do I do what I do because I love the Lord? How I many know that's a good question to ask ourselves? Am I doing this for a pat on the back? Am I doing this for someone to see me do it? Or am I doing it because I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength? And the reason I can tell you one person can make a difference is that short verse in James that says, The effectual, 516, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, meaning one person, avails much. Amen? So the whole church can be cold. The whole church can be distraught. The whole church can be down. The whole church can be busy. The whole church can be caught up in whatever it can be caught up. Everybody can be busy and not doing anything for God. But one person can say, I am going to get a hold of God. I am going to seek God. I am going to see a revival. And you can have what's called a personal revival. One more verse. Psalms 126. Five and six. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. That's an awesome promise. Those who sow in tears. When he's, when he's talking about that, he's talking about struggle and agony. And he's talking about prayer. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He shall continually go forth weeping, but bearing seed for sowing, and shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Amen. That's an awesome promise. That if we've cried in God's presence, if we have weeped in God's presence, if we have prayed for people and, and the, the souls not being saved or not seeing them change like we want them to change, if those things have happened, we can know that those tears will someday reap joy. We will reap in joy, amen, what we sow in tears. It's kind of like what I was saying this morning about anything that you have that is worthwhile had a cost. Amen. There's a price to be paid for anything worthwhile. If it gets handed to us, then it's not a big deal. Amen. But if it's something we've worked for, we've prayed for, we've fought for, then God gets the glory. Amen. And we know that we will reap in joy what we've sowed in tears. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come tonight. I told you I wasn't going to talk very long. 
But I want to have some prayer time. But I want to read you one more thing as they're coming. And this is by Charles Spurgeon. This is a powerful, powerful, and we don't really probably need to sing anything right now. We can just play something. But we're all going to get involved tonight just for a few minutes and pray for a couple things on my spirit. Um, worldwide, um, church-wide, just mostly just general prayers. But I want us to pray together. But listen to this right here. Pay attention to this, to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least the, let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Isn't that powerful? That is, that is where you realize, I cannot change anybody. You cannot change anybody. The quicker you realize that, the happier you're going to be. The more at peace you're going to be. Because we want people to change. Every one of us right now has a brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, friend, co-worker, somebody we know. We want them to change. We want them to get saved. We don't like the way they're living. We don't agree with what they're doing. We, we want to change them. We just want to grab them and change them. But how many have come to realize you can't? Can't change them. Only God can change them. And this world, we can look at this world, sometimes you can lose hope. You can look at this world and you say, God, there's no hope for this world. And that might be true. But our attitude should be this again. I want to read it again. It's powerful. If sinners are going to be damned, what that means is they're going to damn themselves. Remember, God's not sending anybody to hell. But if, if they're going to go to hell, let them have to leap over our praying bodies. If they're going to perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. And let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to pray for our city, for our loved ones, for our church, for our world. I mentioned this morning, and I'll just ask you to stand real quick and we'll pray to move into that next move. There's many, many people around the world being uh, uh, persecuted. Thank you today. Many. And, and, and sometimes we can be in church on a Sunday night and we think, man, can, can my prayers really do something? Yes, they can. That's what I want you to know tonight. That's what was in my spirit. that we would, God said, remind my people they're an army with me. That they're powerful in me. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? Tonight we can, we, can, we can do a miracle for God by just praying and just believing.